Hoxton Movies with Nikki Alexandru, Matt Williams and Morton Wright in association with Genesis Cinema only on Hoxton Radio. movie news on Hoxton Movies. Good evening and welcome to Hoxton Movies on Hoxton Radio. It's Nikki, Morton and Matt in the studio with you for the next two hours uh, talking movies. I have to say before we get into the show, a little bit of gushing on my behalf towards Matthew because um, I've been listening to your latest <laughs> other podcast uh, where you interview LaRue and it's been so nice having you in my ears. Oh. That's very kind. It's a very, very good interview. And if you haven't listened to it yet, check out Matt's other podcast. It's called At The Yard. Oh, that's very kind of you. That was unexpected. I didn't. I honestly didn't pay her. Brilliant. I didn't ask her to do it. It's a really, it's a really brilliant interview. Oh, you thank you so much. Oh, that's really kind. Thanks, Nikki. Um, also, can I ask, do you approve of the music selection this week? Um, so it's just a bunch of movies. It says Ace, Ace Songs from Loads of Movies is our soundtrack of the week as chosen by Matt Williams. <laughs> Because you know you put you presented me with the challenge of coming up with better soundtrack than you had last week, which was the sliding door soundtrack. And I said, no, I, I, it was more of a just a challenge to pick a soundtrack that maybe I wouldn't like or was, oh yeah, okay, oh, no, maybe I, better. Yeah, well, I decided to think outside the box <laughs> and just pick loads and loads cheat. of. <laughs> it's a little bit of a cheat, <laughs> but there's just loads and loads of bangers coming up. So, so yeah. that first song was from St Elmo's Fire. See, when I saw that on there, I thought you'd pick Saint Elmo, Saint Elmo's Fire as the soundtrack of the week. There's I not enough songs in it. There's only, the, I mean, that one is enough to be honest. If we played that on a loop for the entire show, I would be quite happy. It is honestly the song that I say to my friend. If you know you're at a party, mm. everyone's like, "Oh, what, you know, what song are we going to play? It's boring." Blah blah blah. I'm always like, "Man, emotion." They're like, "What's that?" Mm. The opening bars. They're like, "Oh my god!" Then they can't stop listening to it. It's just one of those songs. It is a good, good, good choice. Um, so this week we're going to be talking about us, Jordan Peele's new film, The Dirt, which is Netflix's Motley Crew biopic uh, at Eternity's Gate which is a new film about Vincent van Gogh and also we're going to be interviewing Lauren Cooney about her new short film which is called Pendulum which was released today on Sky's Dust which I'm not 100% sure is that a channel? I think it might be a channel um, and always as always Morton's going to be telling us everything that's happening at Genesis but first up we've got movie news so we are going to be talking about the trailer, new trailer for a Newbury Larson film called Unicorn Stone. Store. Store? Mm. Why did I read that as stone? Because I'm terrible. Oh. Um, I think this is quite fun, no? No. No. Very good. I think the fact that it hasn't been out since its debut at Sundance like two years ago where it got a very lukewarm reception is a pretty good indicator that it's not that great. Yeah. It looks very familiar idea of oh a magical shop and just it just doesn't look very cohesive as a whole visually okay well it's Brie Larson's directorial debut and um, she stars in it as a young woman called Kit who's kind of lacking in direction forced to be back into her uh, in with her parents and take on a temp job and then she kind of meets Samuel L. Jackson yeah who introduced her to something called the unicorn store which she 
opens or starts running and it's decided this magic it kind of looks like a magical realism thing it looks a little bit like welcome to me i don't know if anyone saw that with the Kristen Wiig. Wiig. yeah i did see that which kind of had this like that was dark though that was really dark yeah. and it had this kind of fat like fantasy realism thing going on i don't know whether this perhaps maybe the trailer makes it look a bit more light than it actually is and perhaps there'll be a kind of more dark undercurrent maybe like also like the voices where, where i had that whole, mm. whole glossy thing and then there was talking heads uh, yeah <laughs> i actually re- really thought that film was great yeah no i really enjoyed the voices that synopsis for this does not sound anything like what the trailer puts across at all like i can remember oh, reading that me the reading, other day. Reading, no, reading, oh. because like reading. i remember reading it as well saying like about how she opens a shop and whatnot but when you watch the trailer it's clearly that she's at the unicorn store that's run by Samuel L. Jackson, and if she can prove she's worthy, he's going to give her a unicorn, is what comes across in the trailer. And it just seems like a very odd... What, she becomes a unicorn? No, no. that if she can a prove metaphorical unicorn, <laughs> then he will give her an actual living, breathing unicorn. And are they just doing every film together now? Is that it? Are they a couple? They're together. A they're cinematic couple. A I cinematic mean. couple, a partnership, a duo. I don't know, I wouldn't mind that. No, they do also. They do seem to get on very well. Obviously, it's her directorial debut, but this was like way before um, Skull Island and Captain Marvel, wasn't it? Mm. So obviously, they've been pals before this. I think she did this directly after winning the Oscar for Room, because mm. this was 2017. This has been it's been a while coming, and obviously Netflix have picked up probably, probably. I'm just saying on the back on the on the back of the popularity of Captain Marvel. Mm. Yeah, obviously, it's going to so. get some good views. But you know, I'm willing to watch it. I love Brie Larson. Like a failure. Well, life passed you by. I can't take any more rejection. Honey, you remember Kevin? Wow, Kit, you look just the same. So what's your plan now that you've been kicked out of school? I've taken a temporary position at a public relations firm. Did you always know this is what you wanted to do? Or did you want to do another thing first? Like, did I dream of figure skating, but my parents wouldn't pay for the lessons? You don't want to be a temp forever, do you? Kit, got a letter for you. Get ready. Get ready for what? You have come to the store, Kit. And I am the salesman. Behold, we sell what you need. Unicorns? That was the only thing I ever wanted. If I have one brought here, I have to know that you're for real. I've made a decision. I'm building a home worthy of a unicorn. I'm thinking something like a stable. I don't think a pony wants to live in your basement. That's a good point. Do you think this is some kind of joke? Should we just get you a puppy? I know that I'm just a disappointment. You're always like, why don't you have a boyfriend? Or why aren't you just more like Kevin? Oh, someone call me? No! I don't know how to be a grown-up. My parents think that I'm insane. Honey, what is really going on? This is crazy. The most grown-up thing you can do is fail at things you really care about. You need to learn to love yourself. Get out there and show us what you can do. I will! You got this. Everybody needs some magic in their lives. Even if they're all grown up. Tell me, where does this unicorn come from? The unicorn store. Oh, of course. 
Uh, that was the trailer for Unicorn Store. Don't When's that little, out on Netflix? A little like blinkly blinkly. No, just me. Uh, it comes onto Netflix on the fifth of April, which is next Friday. So, if you're a Brie Larson stay fan, stay tuned. Double down and, and enjoy. I'm sure we'll be reviewing it the week after, once we've seen it. Yeah, you will. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be straight to watch it because yeah, I like Brie, I like Brie Larson a lot. I think she's cool. Cool. Next up, we are talking about. Um, Charlie Kaufman's next film which is called what's it called oh, it's called I'm Thinking of Ending Things and it's based on a book um, so this is his next film after Animalisa which came out in 2015 and now uh, it's got new casting news Brie Larson once again uh, is is joining the cast oh no had joined the cast but now she's left and been replaced by Jesse Buckley and uh, that is a big deal for Jesse Buckley I mean mm. we all love Beast Wild Rose isn't out here yet which by the way I've so been, good. it's been on I've been seeing so many posters around town. It's out on the April 12th. Go and see it. It's one of the best films of the year. But on the back of that, mm. Jesse Buckley replaces Brie Larson in mm. Charlie Kaufman's. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. Uh, Tony Collette and David Thewlis have also been added to the cast. I have to say, when I first read this story, I thought this sounds like a really um, slightly misogynistic book or slash film. Um so the the book and the film are about a guy called Jake who's taking a trip to his family's uh, his family's house on a secluded farm and he brings his girlfriend who is unnamed in the book and they s- presume that he's she's going to be unnamed in the film as well and then he kind of takes her on a detour and it becomes this kind of like psychological horror type thriller thing so I was like hmm I'm gonna look this up um, but in the book it's all told from the woman's point of view. So you're in the mind of the narrator who remains nameless, but she is kind of, you're, you're, you get everything from her point of view. So um, she's thinking about breaking up with her boyfriend. He's taking her to visit his parents. And the whole time they're kind of having these conversations where you think from an outsider perspective, like their relationship seems fine. But then as the reader, you've got like an insight into her psyche. Men- yeah, her psyche. And she's looking at him and finding everything about him really annoying. And then it kind of flips, as far as I can tell from not obviously having read it, but just sort of looking things up. um, As far as I can tell, she, things start to flip and perhaps goes down quite a dark turn with him potentially kidnapping her or something. She also talks about someone called the caller who's been like telephone stalking her. um, But she then finds out that those calls are coming from directly inside her house. So, Mm, yeah. It sounds quite... an unusual one for Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, it sounds a lot darker. Yeah, I mean, Anna Melissa pro- was pretty. Well, yeah, no, but it's dark, but it's whims, it's whims, whimsical when he's dark. Yeah, this sounds more like out and out thriller. Yeah, I mean, yeah. adaptation was a bit dark. Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind was dark, obviously, but it wasn't. Tra- I mean, it was tragic, tragic, but not not like severely so. <laughs> you know, it was about relatable themes. Um, I don't know how much he would have changed it. This is just obviously the, what the book is about. Yeah, um, I like the fact that the cast is very kind of interesting and, and unique. Jesse Pelmans, who I love, I think he's such a great actor. He's the lead. Obviously, Jesse Buckley now has replaced Brie Larson, and Tony Collette and David Thewlis are apparently cast to play his parents. So, yeah, he's rounded up a, uh, a pretty stellar cast for the project. Yeah, I'm interested to see where it goes because I thought Anomalisa was really good, like mm. a really truthful depiction of kind of loneliness and love and relationships and all that kind of jazz. Although people walked out of it when I saw it. So, you know, not for everyone, but I really enjoyed it. Cool. Uh, we don't know when it's out, but it's currently shooting now. Cool. Next up. 
So Angelina Jolie is in talks to make her Marvel debut with the Eternals. Um, so she's getting ready to make, apparently she's getting ready to make her first foray into the world. So I just imagine her waiting in the wings. Yeah. Swanning into the Marvel Universe. Well, I was wondering if it's because, obviously, Maleficent and Maleficent 2 are part of the Disney Universe, which is obviously part of the Marvel family now. They're one mm. big unit. I wonder if they maybe just lured her over with breadcrumbs and, uh, you know, a $25, a $25 million paycheck, probably. Um, what's interesting is that it's going to be directed by Chloe Zao. Is it Zao or Zao? Zhao. Zhao, sorry. I knew I pronounced it correctly. Um, and so she's chosen, apparently Jolie has chosen the project because it's based on the Jack Kirby created title about superpowered and near immortal beings known as Eternals and a more monstrous offshoot known as the Deviants that were created by the cosmic beings called the Celestials. So <clears throat> the details are being kept under wraps, a bit like the um, Black Widow spin-off. So they were all saying, well, Florence Pugh has been cast uh, opposite mm. Scarlett Johansson. And then they were like, well, it's not official. But obviously it is because everybody's reporting it. I can remember I was reading about this last week. So Kevin Teague was talking about how um, they want to do different films again so it feels like there is a definitive break as such From after the Avengers. Endgame uh, and they can go in different directions and with this one in particular he was talking about how it could potentially cover thousands of years within one film oh, wow. and it would be a very oh. different approach to a superhero film as well because of the idea that they've been there in the background mm. of human life i don't understand people's concerns though because every movie star or rising star is being snapped up by marvel or by dc and these are becoming so much about you know mm. attendance of cinema i know like we're going to get on to us a bit later obviously independent films and original ideas are still doing relatively well but they are kind of being you know overwhelmed by these big yeah. superhero movies and whatever however you dress it up it's still the same thing isn't it I mean it's we, still Marvel money and Marvel produce yeah. so we were having this conversation at work today so um, Avengers Endgame runtime has been announced and it's three hours two minutes three hours now if you factor in that at Genesis adverts and trailers are 25 minutes but they can sometimes run a little bit longer if it's a popular film that advertisers want to advertise in front of so it could conceivably be half an hour of adverts and trailers in in front of that and then we always need a 20 minute block to clean the screen afterwards so it's going to be nearly four hours of screening blocks so each screen each day will only actually be able to have two showings rather than three because of Marvel, so it's pretty much the only film that will be there that, that week as well. Yeah, mm. it does. It does seem like there's a big kind of void between really small indie at one end and then absolutely huge blockbusters at the other end, and there's like not that much in the middle. Mm. It's just like those two offerings. But it is really good to see um, Chloe Zhao get picked up for this because um, the Rider was such a great. It was a great critical success, but I don't think it was... It wasn't a massive film. It was a very small film about a young boy and his horse. I know. Isn't it interesting that Marvel are targeting these indie directors who haven't had commercial success, giving them an opportunity to to take the reins of a huge blockbuster, and these directors are taking that opportunity. So in a way, yes, you can criticise the fact that, as you said, there's less room for mm. other films now, but then... In a way, with streaming, although there is a there is a platform for those type of movies now, but also all, auteurs are getting the opportunity to tell these huge stories and make them yeah, better. Because, 
as I said, and I know you two weren't of the same opinion as me, but I loved Captain Marvel for I, that reason. I did enjoy it a lot, but I, yeah, I know what you mean. The indie and sens- Ryan Coogler as well. Ryan Black Coogler Panther, was yeah. And the, the indie sensibilities of Captain Marvel I enjoyed. I just think they could have been pushed a little bit further, perhaps. And mm. I think it could have been funnier. I think it could have been tighter and funnier. I didn't think the script was always that punchy. That was all. I did enjoy, there were so many moments of it I enjoyed though. Um, so I wouldn't. I would never say that I didn't like it. I no, I know you didn't. I know you didn't say you didn't like it. But I'm, I, what surprised me the most about Captain Marvel was the nuance in it. I just and and the simplicity of it. You know, there was there was very kind of straightforward themes that were explained very clearly and dealt with very cleverly. And you know, I guess because I always said this when I was going in, I was so as a massive Star Wars fan my entire life. I remember literally not been able to contain myself when Phantom Menace came out and I remember that feeling of walking out of the <laughs> cinema and wanting to cry because it didn't feel like the, the my universe the film that I loved mm. and I'm not that committed to Marvel but I know that children you know of my age then will, will feel the same way so to walk out and feel like that, that slots into the universe perfectly but also has depth was really impressive to me and I think that's as a result of cast of allowing these auteur directors who have got a little bit more who think more about the development and the scripts than they do just the special effects. I do think... Taking control of it. Yeah, I do agree. I think it's a little bit of a balancing act. One of the things that I noticed when I was watching uh, Captain Marvel is that there was a lot of it that still it still very much looked like a Marvel film, but there was one shot in particular that really stood out as a result where she's gone outside of the farmhouse and it's kind of like... it's. It's dusk. It's not. It's not quite night, and it was a really kind of indie-looking shot that kind of moved around her, and it was just like, oh, cool. I'd love to see a superhero film that is shot entirely like that, mm. but I don't think they're ever going to let the indie sensibilities take over to that extent. I don't know. I don't know with that franchise, but, I, mm. but maybe as you were talking about the fact that they're opening up the universe and they've got all these different stories to tell, they may have scope to do that, especially if they're if they're lower budgets. You know, there's Possibly, less there's yeah. less to, to worry about. But I, I even think about in Captain Marvel, like the, the scene with Annette Benning dancing to Nirvana should have just been like utterly ridiculous. But it had those flecks of Guardians of the Galaxy absurdity that didn't really jar. They worked, and it was it was just unique and clever and funny. So yeah, so. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> Angelina Jolie. Angelina Jolie and the Eternals. So, yeah, I mean, it, I, I, I'm not against Marvel dominating. I think it's quite, um, I, I don't know, people have been kept in work at the end of the day, aren't they? So <laughs> that's all good. Anyway, so that's the news. I mean, we don't know when, nothing has been made official yet, um, but we know that Angelina Jolie is circling it. But she has Maleficent 2 coming, which has been bumped up. Mm. It was meant to be released in 2020, um, May time, so like a whole year from now. And now they've bumped it up to, I think, October, November. What I didn't know, though, did you know that Michelle Pfeiffer's in it? I did not. No, I so did. Michelle um, Pfeiffer, I think, is the antagonist. I, to be fair, I thought Maleficent was not great. So. so did I, but if Michelle Pfeiffer's in the sequel, I'm willing to give it a whirl, you know. Oh, yeah. I'll probably watch it, but, you know, meh. Okay, final bit of news. Another trailer dropped today to yesterday. The new Killing Eve season the two. The final trailer before it comes out yesterday, I think. Yesterday. So, you put this in that, Yeah, I just... I'm, I'm obsessed with Fleabag at the moment. I did realise. But I'm also just sort of contemplating how much creativity is in one soul that they can create Fleabag, which is a cultural phenomenon at the moment, you know, in terms of comedy and game-changing and all that. And then write and produce and be the showrunner on Killing Eve, which, again, I think is one of the most original funny exhilarating tv shows of the last 10 years um 
not only because as well because you know when you say oh it's a BBC America co-production you're like oh mm, god is it going to be they supplant an American in London and this is what happens and you know whatever hilarity ensues but actually the budget on it was really great it was really well thought out it was really action packed the dynamic between the two women were brilliant and the comedy worked as well I just love I love that tonal balance of comedy and, 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 and drama I did really enjoy it I didn't think the whole thing hung together very well I didn't think they really thought out the the through line of the plot through each episode. I thought there was a bit of problems. What was it that was? I don't know. A it, problem, Nikki. The thing is, every at the start of every episode, I'd be like, mm, I'm not sure if I'm enjoying this, and then by the end of that episode, I'd be like, Oh god, I have to watch the next one because it's such a cliffhanger. But then I just I didn't really I didn't really buy into the ending. It wasn't the ending I was. Really well, wanting. I don't think you're meant to buy into it. As in, I think you have to. You do have to treat it as a bit of escapism in yeah. the sense that obviously, obviously, VNL, there's no person alive that can do what she does. <laughs> but that's part of the joy of it is the fact that you are, you watch a Bond film, uh, you know, whatever, and you're, you're supposed to believe that these people are pretty much superhuman. Mm. Um, but when it comes to a female, you're not meant to do that. And what they've done with her is that she's a psychopath, she's hilarious, oh, yeah. she's I so capable. And, but they've had to make that I think they focus, extreme. To me, they focus too much on character and not enough on plot and i think the characters are brilliant and they're really well drawn and the chemistry is is great but i just don't think they thought through the plot fully and with some insider knowledge i know that they fired the entire writers room at the end of season one and brought in a whole new writing team for season two and there were loads of issues in the room about what to do with the ending no way i didn't know so that. i think when you also well, you know... ruined it for me thanks for ruining <laughs> thanks Nikki. when you, you kind of magic. know that you're like, I can see it. Do you want to tell me what happens to Dumbo's mum now? Or <laughs> just finish me off? I, I, I really enjoyed the first season. Uh, I thought it's... I think it's definitely the benchmark for British TV yeah. at the moment. Just because it's, like you said, to put on the kind of snobbish storytelling hat. Mm. Character is plot. Um, so, like, I, I really enjoyed it because it was complex characters... I felt it definitely benefited from binge watching. Whether, like you say, it would have worked the same had it had you watched it as the goggle boxes did, as such, mm-hmm. by watching it when it was released on BBC One each week. I don't know if it would have worked the same, just because it's like you say, each episode did take a little bit of time to bed in. So I think if you were watching it conventionally, you may have switched off or you may like forget to come back to it the next week but overall I thought it was really solid it was really mature it wasn't predictable like so much British TV is and yeah, it didn't really even though it was like a law enforcement story as such it didn't fit into the normal mould of mm. British cop dramas yeah. as such but I am a little bit nervous as it is the writer of the books that it's based on that is the lead writer on the second series rather oh. than Phoebe waller I wonder if that's as a result, as Nikki was saying, maybe some feedback or whatever, and obviously firing the whole writer's room. Um, yeah, maybe they're trying to make it a little bit more loyal to the book. I mean, I don't know. I haven't read the book, so I don't know what, what the style of that is. But I just think, for me, there's just so much joy. as <laughs> It's so, so stereotypical. But two, like fiercely like hilarious capable women going mm. at it is enough for me to watch an entire series but the fact that there was so much more to it like the action set pieces the supporting characters as well like Fiona Shaw and I can't remember the guy who plays her son who's in the office I love him mm. no I mean I love him um, <laughs> David Haig was great in it and even her husband even though he doesn't have that much 
to do. He's kind of pivotal because he grounds the um, the Eve character. Because I think that's the thing. I think if she had been like this lone wolf or like kind of you know that sort of typical grizzled detective who can't have a relationship, you wouldn't you wouldn't mm. relate to her as much. But because she's got this solid foundation, you feel more empathy for her. And obviously because Sandra Oh is just ridiculous, but. Jodie Comer can do any accent in the world. Oh my god, her accent is re- is so good. But let me tell you, when I met her at the Empire Awards about five yeah. years ago, after thirty, Shame- clang, shameless. clang. <laughs> Has anyone got a broom? Need to sweep up some names over here. Um, she was, uh, I thirteen had just come out, and my flatmate and I were watching it obsessed. And she was there at the party, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to go and say hi because I'm just a twat. So. <laughs> went over and I was just like oh restraining just order number 74 well the thing that was surprising <laughs> was I'd only ever seen her in Dr. Foster and 13 and of course she played English in both of those things and then she turns around and just just lets loose with this really thick Scouser accent and I was like oh and um, she could not she could not have been nicer she was so so lovely and we had a right laugh and had a little photo and then years later she's in one of the biggest TV shows in the world so yeah I think it must have been my inspiration <laughs> you realise Liverpool is in England right uh, sorry, like I mean, yeah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean, like a London accent. Yes, of course, Liverpool is in this the country. Queen's Thank England. you for pointing that out. The Queen's English. Yeah, and then obviously she does the. Where is she, is she Russian? Russian. She yeah, does Russian, Russian. She does French. She does all sorts. Yeah, like, yeah, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I am looking forward to the sec- second series, and it's uh, doing really well. BAFTA nominations were announced uh, today, and it's doing really well. I think it's got a really good shot of winning. Was anyone else really surprised? So, mm. Bodyguard picked up five nominations, mm-hmm. including Best Actress and Best TV Drama or whatever serial yeah, drama. Yeah. Um, Richard Madden didn't get nominated. Now, did I miss something? Because Bodyguard was all about Richard Madden. Like, he is Bodyguard. So how did they not nominate him? And he won a Golden Globe. And he's, I mean, he was brilliant in it. And it was a major, well, almost entirely the reason for watching it. So I don't know. I would I say Killy Hall. When I Killy Hall, well, I don't better. want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't well, seen it, yeah, but no, she's not in like, it for the duration. So, you know. Oh, and, well. it, and it declines. <laughs> yeah, I thought she was great. I'm like, happy she got nominated, but I was just mm. surprised that the the actual lead didn't get a nod yeah yeah no that is a bit odd we should say with killing eve actually as well that it's nearly out for americans but if it follows the release strategy that the first season did it's not going to be until the autumn for us i know it's april no that's in america oh is it it's not got it because it's a bbc america amc co-production so they do it there first it came out like in i think February last year for yeah. America, but it wasn't until September that it came out on iPlayer. Well, I'm sure Matt will find his <laughs> methods of watching it. Yeah, screeners, Nicky, that I get sent <laughs> yeah. by the TV company, by the BBC. Um, no, I was just going to, but 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 I reckon this time around because it, nobody knew how good it was going to be. I, I think the demand is so much. Yeah, it'll, yeah, it'll come out quicker, um, and maybe they'll do the same thing again where they'll make every episode available. Mm. I hope so. Mm. Um, that would be really good. Cool. Um, so we're going to play the trailer for season two of Killing Eve. Sometimes when you love someone, you will do crazy things. What? 
MI6. If Villanelle's alive, you need to find her. Stop it, Eve. I can feel your excitement. What is it with you and Villanelle? Sometimes when you love someone, you will do crazy things. the latest movie news on Hoxton Movies. I have to say, Matt, I do really like that song. Thank you. One of my favourites. It's a great song. And you were asking what film it's from, and it's, of course, Mannequin, but also in the Skeleton Twins. Where I love Mannequin as well. Mannequin is a hidden gem, for mm. those who don't know. <laughs> it hasn't aged remarkably Kim well. Kim Cattrall is a mannequin that comes to life. I mean, what more could you want from um, a film? Yeah, true. Um, it's a joy. It's an absolute joy. Uh, we have uh, on the line, joining us in on the phone, uh, Lauren Cooney director, writer and actor who's going to talk about her new short film Pendulum. Can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. Hi, Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much for uh, for calling in. No problem. Um, So do you want to start off and just tell people who who haven't seen it what uh, what the film is about? Yes, so Pendulum is a a 20-minute short film um, and it's a a spirit behind it. And it's about two friends who basically are born part of a generation who know that they're going to die, basically. They're, they're going at the end of the world is coming um, when they're kind of in their, in their 20s, in their, in their late 20s, and mm. they go off uh, backpacking to India to, to sort of find something more meaningful in their lives before the big collapse of the cosmos. <laughs> yeah, I, it was really... When it comes up on the screen about uh, the gravitational rip, I was wondering, where did that concept come from? Is that something that can actually happen? Because I'm not, I'm going to have to say, I, I don't have a massively that. like scientific <laughs> knowledge. So I wasn't sure if you had completely made it up for the film or whether it was something that um, you just sort of looked into and like found out was like a theory or something. And I was excited. Yeah. Yeah, no one needs to panic. Um, I don't think the kind of science is uh, particularly uh, well thought through on that. It was kind of <laughs> metaphorical. Um, but basically, the concept kind of came because, um, or twofold really, like I wanted to make um, a sci-fi that didn't have that sort of sudden like, oh my god, it's a comet and it's coming to Earth, um, mm. sort of panic feeling. I wanted to sort of show this kind of more, yeah, this more kind of slow burn philosophical element, which I guess is, is part of all of our lives. So mm. It reminded much towards the end, and like, what does it feel like? What does that mean to actually kind of face that kind of yeah. more readily? Yeah, that, I thought that was a really interesting concept. It kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Melancholia, where she kind of knows the end of the world is coming exactly. and, like, learns to accept it. Exactly. It's a huge influence, Melancholia, as well, including, like, with the visual effects. Like, I loved how just mystical and poetic and gorgeous it was. It really, like, it really affected me a lot more than that kind of fire and ice uh, kind of drama. Yeah, I have to say, the visual effects in, in your film were really stunning, like, amazing. Like, looked so cool. I was like, I just want to watch. I just want to watch this sky. I'll, I'll watch the sky burn. That's fine. If it looks like this, I'll watch it. 
Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it was, yeah, really, I wanted it to feel like epic and awe inspiring and, and transcendent and have this sort of like cosmic mystical quality, which is like, you know, that, that by the end they're kind of like sort of ready for it. They've got the best view in the world. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Glad you like them. The thing is, though, Lauren, because we watch a lot of short films and it just seems so polished. And so, like Nikki was saying with the special effects, the skyline was gorgeous. But also, you filmed, obviously, in India. How did you go about doing that? Was it kind of guerrilla filmmaking a little bit? Yeah, we were completely guerrilla filmmaking. Um, it was a really kind of mad, mad expedition. Um, um, we got about a crew of, of 15 people to just agree to sort of come on this backpacking experience effectively and everything we did was sort of on the fly and you know filming out of sort of like train windows as we were sort of careering <laughs> along on a sort of 60 hour journey and like maybe dropping a few rupees here and there to the local mayor to let us like film in, in, in the markets and stuff like that it was uh, really sort of run and gun and I think we all just about looked young enough to look like we didn't know what we were doing and that we were students so no one really gave a crap and we just kind of away with it but it's <laughs> it really um it, it's quite really, really awesome yeah it, but, but it really is remarkable how when you watch the film it comes across like it was all fully staged the shots are so well done um and even if they were just extras who you <laughs> you were just giving a bit of bit of money to, to to take part in it they all look like they know exactly what they're doing that they're being directed it just it's really really extraordinary were these and so were the two guys that were in it the two leads are they f like friends of yours did you cast them how did you come about working together so, so Scott, who plays Gwillem, who's um, who's a co-star, he was on right from the beginning. Like I approached him, um, we'd been acting together and were friends for many years, um, and I knew that he was also a budding filmmaker. And I sort of said to him, "I've got this idea. Like, do you want to make this movie with me?" So the the premise that we were kind of go off and co-star in this and um, make it together, and he was also a producer on it, was down from the start. Um, and then the this kind of the third actor. Um, who Tom Sawyer who plays Derek, um, we ended up casting him from an acting school that Scott and I had both attended because we knew that there were a lot of actors there who were really skilled in improvisation and that was one of the that we wanted to be able to work we had to be able to work improvisation in order to get away with the gorilla element mm. um, and so we just met with a bunch of actors from this particular school and um, Tom had yeah, the right kind of balance that we needed uh, for Derek and was really up for the adventurous nature of the of the trip as well. So it was a really it was a really nice it was a really sort of friendly production in that way. It felt like you know we just had to be a team and get on with it as a, as a group of friends and and let it kind of blossom out from there. Yeah, I mean it sounds like it sounds like a very like collaborative thing that you that you created. This is your first short as a director, correct? I am correcting it. I think. Yes, it is. So actually, we went out to film it and. Um, Initially, in September 2013, which oh, is an wow. incredibly long time ago <laughs> for a short film, um, but as you've noted yourself, uh, it's it's a, a pretty uh, epic beast, and mm. um, it was you know a lot of it was was created for for love, and love takes a really long time. Mm. Money, uh, money can be much quicker. Um, <laughs> and how did it compare, kind of taking the reins as director? Where I know you've sort of worked on other shorts before in, in like an acting and writing capacity. How did it kind of compare being more in the driver's seat? this time around um it was really it was a you know it was an amazing learning curve um to be on it as a director and uh, the team particularly the dop and the ad had worked together a lot before and were really again like used to working in in foreign countries and in that run and gun manner so i was learning a huge amount from them and the same thing really with the edit like it was such an enormous edit process and um, mm. i you know i, I learned a huge amount 
over the last kind of few years as it was coming together. And sort of since then have directed um, five other short films, some I've acted in, some I've not. Um, and it's been, yeah, just kind of like formulating different experiences on top of it. But I would, I would say that Pendulum was a massive film school in and of itself. It was really a case of, of getting to learn it and getting to piece it together as we went along. And luckily, India is such a, you know, beautiful country and the team was so talented and uh, we had such a you know a huge amount of material to choose from that by the time you know we were cutting it into this 20 minute short we were able to you know really really make it work yeah it's it i mean it's a very very well done piece so you should be very proud i think it's great um in terms of the title as well the title pendulum where did that kind of come from so initially i think it came about as like this sort of feeling of of time running out like I wanted mm. something metaphorical about time running out and um, you know the sense of this this physical object which mm. is kind of swinging back and forth and at some point it's just going to come to a gentle stop and mm. um, it's a feeling of, of yeah, our experience of life and death hanging in the balance which mm. is, is actually the tagline um, I want yeah I wanted something that felt a little bit more abstract and opened up that door for a pendant to feel more metaphorical and, and it was there right from the start and you know we were debating all the way to the end like you know is it the right title for the film and but, mm. but so many other options that were kind of more on the name decided like you know it really you know it really opens up that that more like philosophical kind of sci-fi pathway awesome um, thank you, Lauren. This has been great. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about how people can watch it? It's on something called Sky Dust, which yeah, I have to uh, say I yeah. have been unaware of up until this point. Yeah, it's awesome, and you guys should definitely check it out. So, mm-hmm. so um, basically, the Gunpowder and Sky is a, a production company, and they make a bunch of things. They make a television, they make features, but they also are doing really amazing stuff for short form content, which is mm-hmm. awesome because there's a lot of amazing short films out there. Yeah. Um, and they're particularly supportive and interested in genre work. So mm-hmm. They've got two platforms, and um, they've got a horror platform called Alter, which I have two short films on as well, called Shafai and Shafai Two. Little plug. <laughs> Um, they've also got Dust, which is their original platform, which is a sci-fi platform because there are, you know, just so many genre sci-fi yeah. fans out there and they, you know, they collect all of these amazing shorts and they put it on. So they've got a website um, in and of itself. Um, it's called watchdust.com, I think. Well. Yeah, yes. watchdust.com. And they've also got a YouTube channel um, where they put, you know, all these incredible films on as well. And that's also watchdust. And they've got the same for their social media handles. It's all under watchdust. Watch and you can find it all there. Amazing. I mean, we'll t- make sure we tweet that out um, from our channels as well because it's it's really great. Like you said, it's so good to have a platform for short film content because I feel feel like there's not that many ways to watch shorts. So totally. Quite. I mean, sometimes you get the odd screening here and there, but they're very few and far between. And you know, short films are a great way for people to kind of get a platform into feature length films. Is that something that you're is that your like next step or are you going to carry on with shorts for a bit or what's your um yeah it's kind of a melange like i've got a bunch of long-form projects in development i've actually got a feature film called retrieval nice. uh, which pendulum is a proof of concept for so um ah. for those that don't know like a proof of concept is like as a director you make a, a shorter film and mm. it sort of says like oh you know if we did X, Y, Z, we could we could uh, magnify this massively and turn it into this this feature film. So I get to explore um, 
some of the ideas that are in pendulum on a on a much bigger scale with retrieval, which also has an Eastern mysticism and an end of the world element, and is about kind of two two estranged sisters, one who believes the end of the world is coming and one who doesn't, and it's then really about looking at what our beliefs, how our belief systems kind of shape our reality. Um, and oh, yeah. that's very exciting. And then, yeah, I, I, like I've, I've got yeah, a slate of a couple of features and a couple of TV series in development with uh, various people, various production companies. Mm-hmm. And always, there's always the next short as well yeah. in this industry. So, um, yeah, just keep making work that I care about. Great. Uh, thank you so much, Lauren. And when you make your feature, please do come back on the show because we'd love to have you yeah. on to talk about it. Um, actually, Matt, Matt did say before we got you on the phone that it, he thought it looked like something that was gearing up to make a feature so amazing well saying that to lots of people <laughs> yeah well no and you know uh, well i just felt the story it just felt very much when i was watching it that the story the way you edited it was really sharp and i think you you put everything in it you needed to for the 20 minutes but then i felt if you were given the opportunity to really expand that universe you would and it would be really effective you kind of set the foundations really well yeah, totally, and and that's the thing. I mean, in, in kind of in in uh, honour and in celebrating shorts for people that don't watch shorts, like you know, a lot of people watch material that's twenty minutes long on the on the tube on the way home or whatever, and you can watch an entire kind of epic epic sci-fi if you wish mm. at that time, as opposed <laughs> to just an episode or something. But yeah, definitely, like if you really want to get into that or something, and you really want to feel the psychologies and the world be building, that obviously needs to happen over a longer period of time. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to being able to do that, and um, hopefully this will be a really good platform for us brilliant thanks okay. Lauren thanks so much Lauren we're going to play awesome. a clip from Pendulum now awesome. all my life the government has told us to keep our heads down and act like everything's fine so none of us gave a shit dying young is what rock stars do right My mate Gwillem was the only one who thought that wrecking it wasn't the way forward. But he avoided the parties. So how would he know? Thumbs down. The latest movie reviews with Hoxton movies. Oh, I'm so sick of the abuse. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was my turn last week, so it's your yeah, turn. Yeah, but that's this because week. it was the sliding door soundtrack. The reason I picked these um, songs. I'll have you know, I got excellent feedback from my mother on the um, sliding doors soundtrack. <laughs> she very much enjoyed listening back to all the songs. Thank you. Oh Mom. dear, does she hate us now? <laughs> She's like, I'm going to come down to that studio and tell those two naughty boys. You're on her list. I'm on the list. <laughs> I'm on someone's list somewhere. Um, hey, you're on a lot of people's list. Well, that song was, of course, Boys to Men, End of the Road, which is from Boomerang originally, but is also going to be in Longshot, which is the new film with Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen. So it's a double whammy. Thank you very much. I feel like it's made in more things as well. Well, you just heard it loads. It's like one of those songs, and it? it's a classic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a classic. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Carry also on. featured in Lords of Chaos. Oh, I doubt it. I very much doubt it. <laughs> so Lords of Chaos is uh, out of Genesis tomorrow, and I had the 
I saw it basically <laughs> the other day. Um, so it's a. It was released in 2018. Originally, at the Sundance Film Festival is where it got its premiere, and then it's been out in the states, I think, for quite some time. It's directed by Jonas Ackland, and he's done a couple of movies that have always been quite sort of grungy and weird. Um, this is no exception. But he's more. I think he's kind of better known for directing a lot of Madonna videos. Um, this film has that same aesthetic, really um, visually arresting in a lot of places but ultimately quite grim <laughs> so anyway set in the 1980s it's about a young guitarist called Aronymous um, who forms a black metal band called Mayhem and it's the first um, type of band in the metal genre in Norway ever and he forms it with a couple of friends and they kind of go on they, they kind of find this house and they go and like live there to try and um, kind of build their sound and all the rest of it but really Euronymous is sort of coming up with these ideas of of kind of metal propaganda if you like so you know staged stunts that are meant to be quite spooky and scary and all that kind of stuff he's mm. quite an intense person but his intensity stops at being you know seriously mentally deranged whereas the lead singer their original lead singer has a completely different <laughs> perspective um, and uh, he ends up something happens anyway but it's 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 particularly particularly brutal in the way it depicts um violence and self-mutilation um pretty pretty unsettling to be honest uh, anyway eventually um there is a new uh, vocalist that comes in from sweden played by emery cohen i was, should say yeah euronymous is played by rory culkin who is still playing a teenager i think he must be about 50 now is he um, <laughs> yeah how old is he i don't know he's very good though like i do I know he's only a year older than me Okay, but I, I really rate him as an actor. Okay, so what's quite jarring as well is it's set in Norway and it's a, they use a mix of British and American actors who don't ever attempt any kind of accent or anything. Um, that you can forgive because, you know, it's telling a story of a certain time, fine. Mm. I kind of rather they just do their own accents than try and put on a terrible Norwegian accent. I agree with you, but I always find it very weird when you set a film in its original setting, which mm. looks very European, and then have a cast of American actors. Yeah. It's quite strange. Yeah. But anyway... Um, so this lead singer is replaced by this guy who's been sort of following the band and he's he's been dying to get into into it and his name's Emery Cohen and the band are obviously quite sceptical until they hear some of his music and then they're like right we need to get him he's a genius um, but then it turns out he's even more of a psychopath um, than they thought so there's this kind of um, one-upmanship going on with band members as to who can be more extreme who can be more violent and then they sort of start to f get this devo devote following of other metalheads and um it obviously just kind of descends into into complete craziness now the only female in this cast is um sky ferreira who is a singer um who um is very good as a singer in this she just plays the kind of thankless girlfriend part really but she's um she kind of is pivotal to the Rory Culkin character sort of breaking away from how extreme and, and dark the whole thing is getting because he basically what he does he, he basically gives himself power in the industry by setting up a record label um so other metalheads and, and other bands are trying to get him to help distribute them and get mm. them out there and stuff um, and then it becomes a, a sort of power struggle between those two characters um it's messy it's fascinating it's gross um it's extreme it's dull in places um it's a real mixed bag it's a real mixed bag you can see Ackland has a real eye for kind of grungy he's directed a hell of a lot of music videos yeah but it's that kind of grungy sort of decaying visual that actually mm. is quite effective particularly for this type of story but what he isn't good at is weaving it together um, in any kind of cohesive way there's a really jarring mix of black humour and extreme violence and it just doesn't 
mesh very well at all. It makes you more uncomfortable than than um, transfixed. Here I am, an average teenager, you may think. But you couldn't be more wrong. I am the founder of Mayhem, the most infamous black metal band in the world. We are the lords of chaos. You guys suck. Mom, tell her to get out Life was easy back then. It was all about having fun, drinking beer, playing hard and loud music. And then everything changed. Vard, the lone wolf. I hereby appoint you bass player of mayhem. We have to take this to the next level. Now you said it yourself. We should burn them all down. If you do this, we're f You betray it. No. You had this dream, this vision. You were in control. You were a leader. You'd still be all of those things if you wanted to. Everyone around you are disgusting little incense. Let's go! So there you go. That was thumbs the trailer. Thumbs up or thumbs down. <laughs> you did that to me deliberately. I swear I didn't. I'm sorry. Nikki actually just gave me the thumbs up as if to say, make a twat of yourself. I didn't mean to. And just jump in while the, uh, while the ident's on there. Um, so that was the trailer for, for that. <laughs> the Lords of Chaos. I keep calling it Lost in Chaos, and that's Lords why I stopped because I know I was saying it wrong. You Lords have to of chaos. say that off air, Matt did tell us. <laughs> oh, Nikki. <laughs> that he kept freeze framing on a certain thing to look at. Yeah, because it's very discombobulating um, in the film because you're watching it and you're like, is that real? Is that real? And then you're like, no, it can't be. I feel like you shouldn't say what it is. So no, I'm not going to say it. I'm just saying, if you it. see it, you'll see what I mean. <laughs> Okay, uh, the other new thing that is out at Genesis this week is Tim Burton's reimagining of Dumbo, a remake of the classic 1940s um, cartoon from Disney, which is absolutely heartbreaking in every way. Mm. I remember Morton, you screened it, didn't you? As I did, a, yeah. In the double bill, which was very, very well done. What was, the, what was the other one? Freaks. Freaks. Oh yeah, I remember that. I didn't go, but I remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's noted. Um, so this is kind of part of the Disney's remaking of all of their classic films, Beauty and the Beast being one, Maleficent, which we were talking about earlier, uh, Aladdin that's coming out this year, which looks just terrible. Hmm. I have to say, I've been up and down on this one. I think the first trailer that was a teaser that just had the baby of mine 
um, music underneath was really affecting and I was like oh god it's going to be really sad and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to be really good again and then ever since they've ever since they bring out each little trailer they've brought out since then that kind of reveals more and more and more of what's going on in the story I've become less and less um, positive about what going into this I'm I'm intrigued. I was very cynical when it was first announced with Tim Burton as director, but over time I've kind of thought, well, no, actually he could be quite a good fit. The same as well. I thought the first trailer was great. The second one, I freeze-framed quite a few times just to see if the ears were real or not because of how big they were. Um, <laughs> and then, I don't know, then the reviews came out for this one. Matt was just not listening for that. I, <laughs> haven't, I, haven't, I was taking it all in, actually. I haven't actually read any of the reviews yet. So it's it's written by um, Aaron Kruger, who's written a lot of... Scream 3. Yeah, horror films. Yeah, so The Ring, Scream 3, uh, some of the Transformers movies, Ghost in the Shell, Brothers Grimm. Um, so kind of a mix. And obviously Tim Burton's... I'm one of those people that I think as a slightly goth emo kid in my younger days uh, was a younger big, days <laughs> was a big fan of Tim Burton um, you know like a lot of his stuff that he put out in the 90s I absolutely loved you know the original Batman movies Edward Scissorhands Sleepy Hollow even um, and obviously like Nightmare Before Christmas but then as things took a turn for the worse post post Big Fish really um, things started to go downhill and I haven't really enjoyed much of his his output. I think Big Fish is what eventually kind of gave me a little bit of hope for this though as well because I was like, oh, you know, he's kind of done circus stuff with yeah. that and whatnot. So I, th- I thought like the second trailer, I still like the visual style of it. And I was hoping that this would be one of the ones that would actually justify Disney doing live action mm. remakes because like while Beauty and the Beast looked pretty much just like a very live action cartoon the original Dumbo is only just over an hour so Mm. like I was hoping oh they can expand upon this so it's enough of an original film with while still being a remake as well Mm. but by the sounds of it there is a very manufactured third act that's just kind of been added on oh really yeah Mm. yeah I mean I think since the reviews have come out the biggest criticism seems to be which is a criticism that's been leveled at a lot of his recent films is that there's a disconnect with the characters mm. in that mm. you don't get in emotionally invested like you admire the have you already said this is that what, <laughs> when you said I wasn't listening no but I think no I made a joke about freeze framing and just nothing I'll <laughs> <laughs> oh, see I'd forgotten that insult already um, um, yeah so I think I think that's that's the problem because like I really enjoyed Miss Peregrine's School for Children yeah, but, the children. Really, but just, you yeah. don't walk away going oh I really remember that particular character or I felt really invested in that yeah. I just enjoyed it because he does great visuals and it moves at a pace and it's a unique styling but I think he was the wrong choice of director for this particular project particularly because Dumbo of other than Bambi is probably the most emotional you know you remember Bambi's mom Dumbo and Moose and uh, Lion King you know those three for Mm. the big sort of emotional moments so you need to care and you need to be really connected to the characters and to the world so I think that's where it's going to maybe fall down but I have heard that for new audiences so for kids who don't really know that much about the original or they're not attached to it that they may not come away with the same sense of magic but they will still enjoy it yeah well we'll see <laughs> I would like to offer you a drink what now all out of bourbon drink not 
and cognac and scotch. Just for emergencies. Look, Mr. Vanderveer, I probably should tell you, the elephant is not for sale. Dumbo will only fly for the Medici Circus. That's assuming he is real. Dad, wake up, let's go. The elephants need us. Look at that. Baby, got a baby. We got a baby. What is that? A face only a mother could love. Sir, many of us find you handsome. I was talking about the elephant. You have until tomorrow night to fix that. Me? Make those ears disappear. Don't look at me. Hi, baby Dumbo. Welcome to the circus. We're all family here, no matter how small. Except the lights, music, fire, and crowds. You can do it! Fly, Dumbo. Fly. Now playing Hoxton movies with the Genesis Cinema, only on Hoxton Radio. up or thumbs down the latest movie reviews with hoxton movies welcome back to hoxton movies on hoxton radio that was i got five on it which is actually from the film we're about to review us Jordan which is why Beals. i picked it i know very well done man <laughs> thanks very much <laughs> is it your favorite song in the film uh not my favorite song in the film but i do like that song i thought it was very effectively used in us from mm. writer-director Jordan Peele. <laughs> <laughs> it was indeed. Um, so we kind of talked about it a little bit last week, but we've all seen it now. Um, so the story is Lupita Nyong'o and her family go away to a, uh, on a family vacation to Santa Cruz, which she had been to as a child in the 80s and had had a, an incident in the, house, in the House of Mirrors and it's kind of... Gave, had a, she had a, a bit of a knock-on effect on her and so she's like a bit wary about being back in that area although she's wary about being back there but then you get told that they were there the year before so you wonder why she's so wary this time around mm. when they have been at this beach house so it's not like it's not like it's the first time she's been to Santa Cruz since the incident that happened in her childhood 
So you're kind of a bit like, why is she so because scared this be- time? Because I know they're because connected. Because they're connected. Yeah. They're connected. I mean, um, consistency number one. I did, yeah, but, the, but, I that, but like that's the whole premise, isn't it? That mm. the tethered and the real people are connected. Yeah, and so I that you can say, careful about giving too much away, Matthew. <laughs> Well, the only way I can respond to your nonsense is I know, by giving away afterwards. I know what you were going to say. Um, I I did like this film. I think it was it was very funny. It does a very. I think he's Jordan Peele's very good at balancing humor and horror. Um, it wasn't that scary though. I'd say it was it was creepy and unsettling, definitely at points. And the P.T. Nongo plays a kind of unhinged person very well. Um, she was really really creepy in in, in parts of it. But I I wasn't scared, which is uh, a big feat because I am scared of everything. So if it didn't scare me, then is it scary? I think the answer is no. Well, this thing for me, the two thirds of the film work quite well, but not in necessarily a horror sense. I think it's one of those horror films that is very subtly playing around with kind of horror tropes there's and it throws a lot at you in the opening act in terms of kind of setup of like burying the lead of things that are going to come back up mm. later on so like the rabbits the rabbits the the dad hiring a boat and just lots of little things so it by the time you're about halfway through i wasn't so much scared as trying to like kind of piece together what had been seeded in the opening act mm. and where we were at with the film and when something was going to be reintroduced. So it felt like a quite clever deconstruction of a horror film for most of it, but one that, granted, wasn't scary. And then in the final act yeah. for me, that's when it fell apart because it kind of it goes so explanatory in its in its climax that mm. it just it starts to contradict itself and I know there's like lots of theories about like some of the contradictions but for me it was just it felt like a lot of the revelations were just there to kind of explain something rather than actually serving a cohesive narrative function mm. and it was just like well no because once you explain that it just makes something else not make sense and it was just it just felt very messy and it was again it displayed a lot of the ill discipline that I think was actually present in the final act of Get Out as well. Interesting. I, I mean, there's so many theories online. I mean, if you haven't seen the film yet, don't start Googling it because there's absolutely a bazillion... There's a whole article on Esquire about just the rabbits and what they mean about duality and... And also that they reproduce at a rapid rate. So they pro- do. Provide indeed. a source of food. Rebirth, duality. Apparently, Jordan Peele is kind of a bit scared of rabbits so that's why he put them in because he thinks they are creepy in general like Anya and Buffy there you go exactly (laughs) Um, (laughs) and also you've got kind of the connection of rabbits to like something like Donnie Darko there's quite a lot of you know, the, the kid is wearing a Jaws t-shirt. There's a lot of sort of... She's wearing a... She, no, it's a Thriller t-shirt, Michael Jackson Yeah, she wears t-shirt. that, but also the little boy is oh, wearing wears a, a Jaws t-shirt. A Jaws well, t-shirt. he was There's asked... a lot of little references. Little references, yeah. And and someone asked Jordan Peele if he would take that scene out now with the Michael Jackson t-shirt, and he said, no, he'd be more inclined to keep it in mm. because of how unsettling it is. And, mm. and you know, there's obviously a lot of talk about how it's an examination of the class system in America mm-hmm. um, with without trying to spoil anything, but, like, the two worlds and all this... Um, what I think, and, and I, I remember I was texting you, Morton, after watching it, because I, I felt at the end of it unsatisfied because I didn't feel like I, I 
could piece it together. Then I came away and I thought there was a lot that I really admired about it, which is the the filming of it, the, the acting, the um, the individual scenes were really intense and worked really, really well. I love the imagination behind it. But I think the thing that I've taken away from it the most is I loved how audacious it was. What you've just said there about trying to piece it together and it's not making sense is actually what really intrigues me about it more than anything. Because with all these theories I think you he's basically offering you or inviting you to unpack all of this and see if you can make sense of it it's almost like he's having a bit of a a bit of a joke with you which I think because I feel like he's a director and a writer who's very in control and and I don't think he'd put something out there that wasn't in some way going to make sense at some point but I don't think it's on the first viewing yeah Yeah, I agree I think there's so much I liked about it there was a few things that i I agree with Morton on, but I I did really I did enjoy it, but I think it does invite second viewing in terms of just try, trying to put everything together. But then maybe some of it's too convoluted, like there's too much. He's kind of throwing too many things. In. That's the thing. I do certainly think like I, I agree, and I do see where you're coming from in that respect. But I do think that for me, the way it came across was that it was a case of here are all of the building blocks. I couldn't quite put them together, and. and this is when I'm saying this, this is me pretending to be Jordan Peele. <laughs> I couldn't quite put them all together. I'm just going to put all of them on screen mm. and make it seem like there's loads of different ways you could tie <laughs> yeah. yourselves in knots trying to figure it out. Yeah. And in like a few years' time, you'll realise that, yeah, you're just tying yourselves in knots because I, I don't know and, what it is. But do you think in the same way that Mulholland Drive does that and Donnie Darko does that? There's a lot of cinema that does that. And this is Yeah, a, but they do it well. Well, I, but then I don't think... But you can't... I mean, personally, I couldn't say that Us was a bad film in terms of how it was made oh, no, or anything like that. It may, it may not be scary, but I don't think Mulholland Drive is scary. I think it's disturbing. I don't mm. think most of David Lynch's output is actually... Even Twin Peaks, the last season of Twin Peaks, mm. that kind of surrealism and strange stuff. I think Jordan Peele is way more cohesive, even with this, than David Lynch has ever been in the last 20 years. But mm. that's, that's fair, but in, in comparing it to Mulholland Drive, when I even watching that the first time, you get the impression that like at least the maker of it knows specifically what story they want to tell. I disagree. Even if it doesn't completely I disagree. I don't, I don't think... I think David Lynch is way more like how you described Jordan Peele has been about Certainly this. Certainly in his later work, definitely. Yeah. But I, I, I just felt... There's a framework, but there isn't any anything that pieces together within the middle mm. but but I, do... I would be intrigued to hear an American audience's take on it yes yeah. I think there's a lot of context of the American 80s that like I have no context yeah of yeah I agree with that did feel very thrown in at the start and you're just like right okay that's really pointed to put that in there so this is going to become relevant again at some point but it feels only in a very visual way whereas like I'm sure there's more context to Americans that understand what some of that stuff was and have experienced that whereas yeah. is, do you, I agree about the hands across America yeah. thing because I wasn't quite sure what well I mean was. I'm old enough to remember that so I did know what that was um, and then the yeah the, it the, was to do with poverty right so I thought that was just to kind of highlight even further the kind of two class systems yeah, we're it was. creating a massive void between the upper classes and the lower classes um but what we, I, what I was saying before about the humour, I mean, Elizabeth Moss's character is so 
funny. She's like, funny. Well, she's that, that whole funny. the whole family, the casting. I mean, the casting of the twins. So yeah, good. was a, it was just so funny. I mean, it is it is a nod to Kubrick. And actually, I was thinking a bit about The Shining and the setup of that and the the sort of the mood, right? Because The Shining didn't really scare me either. And I know Nikki's like so what? flabbergasted by that, but I felt it was more atmospheric and it's more yeah. chilling and it's more it's more um, contemplative. And and I think Us is like that as well. Um, again. I, I remember texting you Morton after seeing it going I'm not sure that this is going to appeal to audiences because I think people are going to come out scratching their heads and frustrated mm. Whereas, and I did that was my mm. initial reaction but the more I thought about it I'm like actually do you know what I want to go back I want to go back into that world and see if I can make sense of it um, because there was so much of it that I admired I want to kind of see if I can maybe piece it together which is, a, which is a different concept for filmmaking, but it's intriguing. Yeah, no, I, I would support that as well. But the, the, again, the hesitation that I would have in that respect is for that to work for me on first viewing. The like, Just the, the simple surface narrative in that respect needs to be compelling. And it was, again, it was for two thirds of the film, I yeah. felt. But there's a moment in it where it cuts to like a little bit later on and it's from that point onwards that I feel like even just like the superficial like placement like surface narrative starts to go off the rails a little bit and then there's a moment towards the end that is so kind of involved with that and it doesn't make sense yeah and it's kind of lost you then at that that point yeah it, it lost me at that point and it kind of frustrated me to the extent that my gut reaction when I came out was that was a mess I don't want to watch that again yeah so it kind of as a result it's preventing me even now like about a week later from being like yeah I'd give it another watch and dig a di- uh, dig a bit deeper mm. just because like the the basic a to b story isn't there for me Let's call the cops. I did. They're 14 minutes away. What? 14 minutes? Okay, 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 okay. Okay, okay. Jason, give me the bat. What bat? The baseball bat, the bat. There's one in the corner. Here, here. Thank you. Gabe. All right, hold on. I got this. Let's try this again. Gabe. No, 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 no. All right. Gabe! I got this. I got this. Now, I thought I already done told y'all to get off my property, okay? So if y'all want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Now, the cops are already on their way. Hey, 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 hey! Thumbs up or thumbs down? The latest movie reviews with Hoxton Movies. Thumbs up. 
the latest movie reviews with Hoxton Movies. I do approve of Bette Midler. That song is so good. If you haven't seen The Rose, it's I think great. It was 1979. Yeah, it's really good. I was just saying off air, I watched it with our friend of the show, my friend Sinead, um, in a movie day that also featured the Judy Garland version of A Star Is Born and Cher's Mask. Drugs and divas. Yeah, all the divas all day. Um, so we are got a couple more reviews. First up, we're going to be talking about Netflix's new film, The Dirt, which is the story about how Motley Crue became the most notorious rock and roll group in history. Brilliant. Um, it's <laughs> <laughs> wow. I've never been. I'm to be fair. I'm not a massive fan of the band, so I think I definitely went in with low expectations, and they were surpassed with even lower (laughs) (laughs) delivery um it's directed by um jeff tremaine who directed i think that way yeah all the jackass films and bad grandpa (laughs) and you know this is a way better film than those back catalog you know doesn't quite uh live up to things and it's based on the book which was written by the band uh, along with um uh, neil strauss who is the guy who's famous for writing that book the game about how to pick up women um by appealing to their insecurities and putting them down in a thing called negging which i think has now become taken off as a pickup so thank you neil strauss for your misogynistic bullshit (laughs) (laughs) um okay so ricky (laughs) what did you think of the dirt (laughs) loved it (laughs) i mean even without all the misogyny it was so boring i thought it was really boring and also it does the one thing like i have to say it's just a massive pet peeve of mine that i can never get over and i know there's the good things that use it and important things blah blah blah. but when characters break the fourth wall i can't i just i'm out straight away i'm instantly put off anything that do you feel like it's a cheap ploy i just hate it i just really really hate it i think it's it's a really rubbish technique. They used to they used it in like the first two or three episodes of Sex and the City, and then they instantly got rid of it because they realised it's crap. It's it just doesn't. You don't need it. You can just have a voice. You just have a voiceover. You don't need person to break the fourth wall and be like, "This is my story now." <laughs> and also, it's just like all these broy, annoying guys, and Douglas Booth is just awful. Just like, <laughs> um, and all the the script as well. I was like. I fell in love and her name was heroin. It's like, oh, really? Like, where? That has been said a bazillion times before. Yeah, no, the breaking (laughs) of the fourth wall is laughable, particularly after it comes off the back of all four of them narrating it separately, then having a conversation during the narration. (laughs) Then lying during the narration and just being like, oh, no, it's a shame this guy isn't in the film, actually. Yeah, that was so weird. So it's like they're just drawing attention to the fact that the two people in real life have been amalgamated into one character in the film. Why do we need to know that? Like, who, who gives uh, yeah, a shit? When he just fades out. Yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> Shame this guy didn't make it into the film. We just mm. put it into one character. Like, why are you telling us your script writing? Like, we don't care. Just, like, get on with it. And it, it's just... I just found it really boring. It's just, like, a boring story about a bunch of guys who think it's fun to be debauched and punch women and have sex with as many women as possible no matter whether they're married they have a line that's like never leave your girlfriend alone with motley crew it's like 
I'm sorry. Also, they have this thing which they think is really charming and funny wherever they have a meeting in a bar, there's always a girl under the table ready to give a blowjob to whatever guy has sat down. Um, and then the Pete Davidson character, which I think Pete Davidson from SNL was cast because Machine, Machine Gun Kelly plays um, Tommy Lee, who's obviously their best mates mm-hmm. in real life. And, um, you know, he's meant to be this kind of moral centrepiece. And you're like, mm, yeah, no, you're still enabling these group of guys. My, my thing, I didn't find it boring. I thought actually it was quite entertaining. It was quite funny in places. Um, I think it's a quite interesting look at the excesses of the music industry and what um, particularly young men in those sort of bands were given license to do and the money that was thrown mm. at them. I think that's all quite interesting. What I did have a problem with, which I think is really problematic, and I'm not a Motley Crue fan either. I, to be honest, first girls, time I, girls, girls. Well, the first time I'd heard about Motley Crue was the Tommy Lee Pamela Anderson video, and I was like, "Who is this?" <laughs> hey, T Bone. Um, but anyway, um, I, 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 but it's not my style of music. However, I went in with an open mind. I think what I found problematic is the way that they try and depict the characters as these kind of, uh, like, I mean, X-rated sort of Wayne's World types, you know Mm. what I mean? That ultimately, no matter what they've done, which is appalling, and I know, see... The, the, all four bandmates, bandmates were involved in the making of it. They produced the film. They were involved in the writing. And I, and I felt like it was really manipulative. For example, when Tommy Lee strikes his girlfriend on the bus, you are still meant to find him like misguided and you know because he's always in love yeah yeah you're supposed to find him misguided like shit but but the way it's played out that well the way the scene is played out is as if it's played out very uncomfortably it's uncomfortably because they 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 almost imply that she was asking for it and that bothered me but also you know vince neil the lead singer when he killed the other singer in the car crash which is well documented in real life you know they they juxtapose that with his daughter being sick which is obviously yeah. happened in real life and obviously is terrible but at the same time he was still high and drunk and driving and the two other and the other thing that doesn't get documented is that the other two people in the car that he hit into are brain damaged for life mm. you know this kind of behaviour mm. does not make them lovable and got, rogues and he got what like 60 days in not even 30, 30 days, days? Yeah. yeah so that is problematic because yes if you're going to lift the lid it has to be an objective point of view is, and yeah, it's not it's, pro- it's their think, point of view yeah, that's why I didn't is, think it was interesting because it's not a comment on excess excess it's yeah. just being like well boys will be boys it's yeah. like no. yeah it's the issue definitely of always having the people involved because you can then see as well like it's interesting that you say the uh, the sex tape because it's very coy in not saying who it was with and whatnot so i think there's moments where you can see who agreed to being portrayed in it and who didn't I mean Heather Locklear, Heather Locklear it's just embarrassing because yeah. particularly because she is a well known figure and the way she's played in the film she's in one scene where he charms her inexplicably by saying that she's on a different TV show and you're supposed to say oh what a lad mm. um, and then he's like shagging all these women well as uh, then- classic the game the game but that's, then she that's like a actually like but then she finds out from the National Enquirer and she comes in like a shrew and throws it on the table and so she's leaving she's in two scenes in the entire film yeah. and I know it's not about them about the, the, the other characters but none of the women in the film not one gets any kind I mean even the, the kind of Tommy Lee little bit of guilt with his mother his mother is not shot in close up not once mm. she's basically in the kitchen in the first scene and then comes to visit him backstage once Yeah, that would have been more interesting to explore like if, if that if those outside elements sort of made them rethink what they were doing and I did think Nicky Sticks and I know you didn't like Douglas Booth but actually I thought he was he was fine what I did find the most interesting was the dynamic between his mother and his reasons and his spiral into drugs mm. like that was a little bit of context do you know what I mean like I it- liked some of the beginning like the very beginning I thought when they're kind of kids and stuff I thought that was quite 
some of that stuff was a bit more interesting but as it just went on and on i just felt like you were just they were just trying to make you feel sorry for these like really awful people and yeah. i know that bad things happen to them and i get that but but they were proponents but of they it. were just yeah they were yeah. All, it doesn't, it doesn't excuse it. them just like constantly cheating with each other's girlfriends well they also didn't they also it didn't strike me that, that yeah it didn't strike me like there was remorse no. you know i didn't feel no. i felt like there was just these 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 scenes that you are presented with and you either find them funny or horrific but you're meant to just feel all of those and, and they're very extreme emotions that you feel watching it um I did think I wonder. I did wonder watching it. I was like, I wonder if Ozzy Osbourne approved this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that was. It was bizarre, but it was also it was probably, probably true. The best. No, it was true, but it was mm-hmm. the best scene in the film. I think because the guy who was playing Ozzy Osbourne just sort of swept in and stole the scene. Oh yeah, 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 yeah and yeah, it was yeah. really extreme, and it was kind of showing that the well, hold on, there's someone worse than us, <laughs> you know, um, which was a little bit of a narrative um, sort of tack to kind of go. Well, you might like them a little bit more because they don't like snort ants and drink urine, but you're like but they slap women and kill people when drunk. Mm. It was very easy, it felt, for them. From the sounds of it, they've left out a lot from the book because it's just huge as well. But it it was very easy, obviously, to cherry-pick moments and juxtapose them to put this kind of redemptive narrative on it as well that was completely unearned. Because it's like you say, it is literally a case of the car crash him then turning around and saying, oh, it could have been any one of us that was driving in that state. As though that's an excuse as yeah, well. Yeah, And exactly then that. the majority of the rest of his narrative is, oh, look, he got sober and then his daughter fell ill, which is obviously tragic, but it's not connected to the mm. fact that he killed someone. Yeah. And it's just... it's No, it's used as a ploy yeah. to make you feel empathy for the character and to welcome him back into the fold when they decide that actually what they care about is friendship it's not yeah. it's not the music it's not the money well I don't buy that for a but second because all of this is to make money I, <laughs> it also demonstrates along with the casting as well how much of a vanity pro- uh, project it is because any other <laughs> film that covers this period of time would either age them a bit more than giving like one a bit of stubble or would recast they all do for look like different stages. <laughs> and when you see the clips at the end of their real walk down that mm. corridor, it's em- so embarrassing yeah. how old they are in comparison to the people who have been playing. And talk about age. The, so the guy that uh, Ewan Rian plays is supposed to be way older than yeah, him. I, he's like three years older than the guy that's playing but they um, <laughs> the lead singer. And he's five years older than Douglas Booth. It's like, he's not massively old and they're mm. like oh the old man the old man like he's te- at like 10 or t- like 15 years older than them which I don't know whether he was in real life I kind of did look at some of the ages because it really annoyed me that they were just going on and on about how much older Ewan Rian was and you're like is he? he's like a few a couple of years older than you guys like two or three years older yeah. I mean like really is that a big massive deal? Like, I like him grandma? as an actor but he does he's, he's totally muted in this yeah, he just really. doesn't really the thing that uh, really Make bugged me in terms of the representation of women as well wasn't just that it was horrendous, but it was also that there was a really clear what could have been interesting narrative that was just completely ignored as well. In the case of the singer, there was clearly an odd relationship with... I, I don't even know if they were still married at that point, but the mother of his child, there was clearly a strained relationship that could have been explored, been explored and it just wasn't. It could have happened to anybody, but it didn't. It happened to us. Your new band is going to be something nobody's ever seen before. Oh my God, those are my pants. 
But they look so much better on me. We got the runaway, a kid drummer, an old man. Let's just play it. A cover band singer. They say you're gonna be a rock star. What do you think? Holy shit. If we want to knock people on their asses, then we've got to give them a show. I'm talking like a stadium show in the clubs. The fans, they're dying for some anarchy. So let's give it to them. I work for Electra Records. You guys like a record deal? I had managed the Scorpions, Bon Jovi, Skid Row, Kiss, but I had never been through what Motley Crue put me through. I am sick and tired of not having any fun. Everything's upside down and flip-flopping. Motley Crue, no strangers to controversy. Vince Neil was charged with vehicular manslaughter. Tommy Lee and Heather Locklear have separated. It's a degenerative bone disease. Nikki Six has overdosed. I know it's not gonna be easy. But I believe in you guys. When it all lose it all, we are Molly Crew. I don't think we need to hear the rest of that. <laughs> <laughs> that was the trailer for The Dirt, which you can catch or don't catch on Netflix. Um, so, final review of The Night at Eternity's Gate, directed by Julian Schnabel, also co-written by him. He directed uh, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, uh, written by Jean-Claude Carrier and Louise Googleberg. Um, Jean-Claude Carrier uh, wrote Unbearable Night is the Being and uh, A Bigger Splash, as well as Birth, with that film with um, Nicole Kidman from mm, a few years the back. The Jonathan Glazer one. Yes. Uh, so, this is looking at later period of uh vincent van gogh's life um as he sort of took on a self-imposed exile in um a, an area of france called arles arles an uber oui or something anyway sorry my french is terrible um and that's where he kind of developed his most famous style of painting the colors the the textures all that kind of stuff and it looks at his relationship with his, one of his best friends, uh, played by Oscar Isaac in the movie, uh, his brother, as well as his own kind of impending uh, mental health issues. And it, he's played by Willem Dafoe in the film, and I thought he did a really good job like, yeah, at bringing, bringing you in to... He looks quite a lot like him as well. Mm. And it was also... I really, I really liked the way it was shot. So every time you're seeing someone else's face, you're seeing it through Vincent's eyes. Like you're very much kind of seeing all these faces through his eyes and a lot of the time there's this kind of blur at the bottom and you really felt that kind of sense of disconnect he kind of talks about it as well like his own he see, he talks about how he thinks he sees the world like mm. no one else sees it and the reason that he paints in such a quite, quite abstracty way is that he's trying to bring what his view of the world is but it also sounds so nightmarish because he talks about having kind of a dark 
uh, figure that he thinks is trying to get him, which yeah. is one of his explanations for cutting off his ear. So he's obviously a very disturbed human being, but also a, a creative genius. Um, I, I mean, I absolutely love Vincent Van Gogh's work. And this this comes out of good timing because the Tate Britain have just started their um, exhibition of Van, Van Gogh's work. So I think if you watch this film and like it, it was also is a really good companion piece for Loving Vincent because this film kind of ends with his death and when he got shot and loving vincent is kind of this imagined um story of a detective kind of going back to try and figure out what happened to vincent van gogh after he was shot by looking at his letters mm. and and trying to figure out whether he did it himself or whether he was shot by someone else um which i so i thought that was quite an interesting like could be a good little double bill um but there's just there's so much in this film to kind of think about like he talks about the joy and sorrow and how his madness kind of fuels his the best art in him um and the scene where he talks about the the way that the scenes quite often play out is you see the scene and then you kind of hear the dialogue again as if it as it's as it's replaying in vincent's mind because he kind of tries to sort of replay things and figure them figure them out and i found that really interesting as like an insight into his into his mental state and the fact that he cuts off his ear in a way of trying to keep his friend from leaving mm. him was just so tragic and sad and yeah i really liked it i thought it was, i thought it was really good it starts off quite slow it took a little while to like get going but i think once it did i i really thought it was quite affecting yeah no definitely i think really weirdly i would not have thought this uh last night as i watched the dirt last night and then <laughs> at eternity's gate this afternoon I, I wouldn't thought I wouldn't have thought that I'd be comparing the two, but like there there genuinely is I think like a good reason to. So whereas we were saying like in the dirt, there's four different narrators. Then they break the fourth wall. Then they have a conversation with each other. This again, there's a lot of different styles, both visually and in terms of the storytelling. In terms of like the like you've said, the point of view that you're seeing it from. Sometimes from Vincent Van Gogh. Sometimes there's kind of very picturesque. Uh, landscape uh, imagery uh, there's, a, there's a bit later on where it's kind of filtered almost to look like the kind of colour palette of some of his photo uh, uh, paintings as well but it all melds together in like a really interesting mm. uh, mosaic that doesn't feel like it's lots of randomly different techniques thrown at the wall and hopefully uh, hoping that they'll stick it feels cohesive and it it's a really sensitive handling of mental health as yeah, well, I, I think, in the sense that there's no kind of over-the-top, uh, in air quotes, like spectrum acting mm. as such. Obviously, like it, it, this is a different mental health condition mm. as well, but it's just, it feels very sensitively done in the sense that at times you are also kind of questioning it. it, it feels very Jekyll and Hyde-y almost. Like he kind of, he talks about... Uh, these kind of blackout moments that he has where he like he doesn't have any memory of uh painting his face black and like scaring the children in mm. the village he doesn't have any memory of something that happens on the road mm. at one point later in the film as well and it feels very much like he is both a victim of his circumstances but also kind of in his curmudgeonliness also the perpetrator of it as well so mm. it's it's a very complex take on a character that like asks you to decide rather than yeah. portraying them as just the victim of their circumstances i so. completely agree and i think what you just said about how he doesn't remember stuff i think it's great that we also then don't see those things mm. so we don't see a kind of over the top 
uh you know quote unquote portrayal of a crazy person running yeah. around the streets scaring children which he may or may not have done mm. but also the film book there's like kind of book chapter bookmarks which are just black screen yeah with voiceover which i thought was also really well done and, and clever and kind of shows his journey like his mental journey kind of he goes from and the i just this everything that he describes about the way he sees the world and, and kind of getting towards the end where he's like standing on the precipice of eternity and he talks about when he looks out across the scene he just sees everything and it, it's yeah, I found it quite powerful, I think, in the end. Yeah, definitely. And it's very kind of myth-dispelling as mm. well. Like, I, I'm familiar with his art, and, but like his story mm. as such is only really kind of like a couple of hours in first school when we mm. were painting our own version of the sunflowers yeah. as such. So you know, like, the the ear story as such mm. and like you're kind of told or at least i was when i was younger it was like oh it, he chopped it off and sent it to like his a love yeah that's of, like, a woman mm. and like this dispels that it kind of tells the deeper story of that that it's actually it's a it's a friendship it's an act of friendship rather than just an act of desperation as such and the sending it to a woman is actually just like a kind of as a middleman actually uh, yeah. and I it's I thought that relationship was so. He plays a character called Paul Galgan, who I Gauguin, who I think was a contemporary artist of the time, mm. and just the way he picks apart Vincent's techniques as well, I thought was really interesting. Kind of berates his his style, berates mm. his outlook, um, talks him down, talks him down from, tries to tell him that he needs to paint inside and from the mind and not just paint what he sees, and it's just all these like constant things, and you're like. Yeah, but pretty, yeah. Sh- pretty sure he does all right. Well, doesn't in his life, but it's very interesting as well that it um it never becomes an issue for me. Uh, at least for me, it didn't. It never becomes an issue issue that it is Willem Dafoe, like, and that ages of people aren't explained as such. It feels very complimentary to the film that you're kind of uncertain of the passage of time in it as well. Yeah. The only criticism that I would have of it, it's, it actually comes via a compliment as well it's that i was really pleased that there aren't any kind of gratuitous grotesque shots of the process of cutting off his ear or the aftermath as well however in a few shots you do see his earlobe it's very well shot for the most part in terms of making it look like he only has one ear from the angles that it's shot but you you do see his earlobes a couple of times look inside You keep saying, look inside, I get it, I do. You keep repeating yourself. What do you think I'm doing? I don't invent the picture. I don't need to invent the picture. I find it already in nature. I I just have to free it. All right, I'm just saying, first think about your surface and how the paint will sit on it. Get control over what you're doing. Maybe you should work inside more. I spent all my life alone in a room. I need to go out and work to forget myself. I want to be out of control. I need to be in a fever state. It's called the act of painting for a reason. All right, calm down. I don't want to calm down. The faster I paint, the better I feel. I can't stay here, Vincent. What are you saying? I can't stay in all. I'll go soon. I sold some paintings lately. Maybe your brother told you? 
I have to get back to Paris. Where are you going? Now playing Hoxton movies with the Genesis Cinema, only on Hoxton Radio. So that was a clip from Eternity's Gate, which Morton and Nicky loved. Mm, and you can catch at Genesis on Monday at 6.15. Right, for the last few minutes of the show, Morton, what have we got at Genesis? Indeed. So tomorrow night at 6.20, we have got a screening of Old, Blo- uh, Old Boys, which we uh, covered on the show a few weeks back, the new film by Toby MacDonald. And Toby MacDonald will be there in person for a Q&A after the film. That is at 6.20 tomorrow night. Then over the weekend on Saturday at 9 o'clock, we have got a presentation by Arrow Films, who have been uh, collaborating with us over the past few months to bring you B-movies on a Saturday night. Uh, This weekend, we've got a couple of better-known ones in a mini Bob Hoskins season. So on Saturday night, confusingly, you can watch The Long Good Friday at 9 o'clock. And then on Sunday night, you can watch uh, Mona Lisa at 8.30. Then again, as I just said, at Eternity's Gate with a live Q&A satellite link-up with Julian Schnabel uh, at 6.15 on Monday. Then on Tuesday night, we have got the start of a new season. Uh, Just ignore that this is a new season that has been done before. Uh, It is the world of David Lynch. And we are starting off with Blue Velvet at 10 past 6 on Tuesday night. And then... That will be followed at 9 o'clock by June as well. Also part of that season this week on Thursday, uh, the 4th of April at 6.40, we have got David Lynch, The Art Life, which was a documentary from 2017 by John Nugent and Rick Barnes, uh, featuring uh, interviews with the director about his uh, artistic painting life rather than his film career as well then also next thursday at seven o'clock we've got the april edition of the poetry slam and rounding out this week's events at nine o'clock next thursday we have got a special screening of under the silver lake which is david robert mitchell's follow-up to it follows uh, starring andrew garfield and riley keogh and your last little bit an overheard oh go on a gentleman walked in today looking like he'd walked straight in from the 70s slash 80s came up to us and he was like are Genesis really playing here tonight? (laughs) he did and you're making that up no he did that is amazing (laughs) oh do you know what I think you guys need to just have your cameras at the ready so you can film these things (laughs) such great viral content alright thank you very much Morton so that is it for this week do stay tuned because coming up we have got Get In Our Ears they are with you till 10pm and we will be back same time next week and I'm going to play out with the last of my selection this week you'll recognise it immediately (laughs) 